0: We're going to wrap up this series of messages that we've been calling the kingdom, and we've been talking about this now for months, looking at the different stories that Jesus tells in which he comes and he unpacks, he reveals, he sort of explains, if you will, his kingdom. But one of the questions we haven't really asked is, who is he talking to? Because it seems like he's talking to everyone. I mean, everywhere that Jesus went, there were thousands of people following this guy. Huge crowds were showing up on hillsides, and he's addressing all of them. Or is he? I mean, I'll tell you what he doesn't do. He never walks up to the crowd and go, okay, uh, here's the deal. All right, you guys and you and you and you and you, if you can find a babysitter, you guys and you and then the back row over here, I'd like to have you guys kind of come with me and we're going to go over here. I'm going to do a little seminar. I have some stories to tell you. I have stuff that I want to just tell just to you and the rest of you guys can go home. He doesn't do that. It seems like he's talking to everyone, but then he gets to the end of so many of these stories and he says something like this. He'll say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he's not talking about hearing problems. I mean, it wasn't like they had hearing problems in the first century. There was a nutritional dif- you know, deficiency and it caused all, you know, it's not what he's saying. He's not giving a shout out to the guys in the back because he doesn't have a sound system and he's like, okay, if you have ears good enough to hear me, you know, listen up. What he's saying is that there are a lot of people who hear with their ears, but they don't really hear. He tells these stories, bottom line, to those of us to whom the Spirit of the living God has given the eyes and the ears and the nose and the mouth and the the hands, the, the ability, if you will, to listen, to sense, to take it in. Spiritual sensibilities that allow us to be captured by the vision of this King and the vision of His kingdom. And so the question then is, well, how do I know if that's me? And I think the answer to that is by what you do, you know? I mean, again, there are thousands of people that are following Jesus, all of them showing up on mass, and they're listening to these great stories, and 99.9% of them walk away going, wow, that was amazing, I love the way he did this, and I'd never thought about it like that, and then he brought in this little thing, and it was like a big surprise, and then he stood the religious leaders on their head and spun them around, I don't even know why they ask him questions, it's unbelievable, and he started and ended with a miracle, what other speaker does that, honestly? I mean, maybe on TV, but real miracle. Seriously! It's amazing! And then they just assimilated back into their lives like they heard nothing. And then there were those precious few, and they are precious, and they're few who took in these stories, who who, who beheld this vision, and who were never quite the same again. That's how you know. So with that in mind today... We're going to wrap up this series with the topic of the kingdom and prayer, and uh, we're going to start with this little parable, or we're going to talk about this little parable that we find at the end of the Lord's Prayer. And it's kind of a parable that looks back at the Lord's Prayer, and it sort of points at the prayer itself and says, okay, do you hear that prayer? Do you see that prayer? Do you smell that prayer? Do you taste that prayer? Can you touch that prayer? Do you have the spiritual sensibilities to get what it's really all about, to see what it's really showing you? If so, then pray like that. Pray like that prayer. So we really need to start by looking at the prayer. And I want to look today at the prayer in the book of Matthew. The parable is going to be in Luke, but I want to look at the Matthaean version of that prayer. And the reason I say that is because that's the one we all know. That's the one we all grew up reciting. It's a little bit more complete than the version that we get in Luke, and I even want to look at it in the King James. So I'm going totally retro today. But that's the one we memorized, isn't it? It's kind of cool to say it in the King James. You know, in that translation, it says, after this manner, therefore, pray ye. See, Jesus is speaking, and he's saying to his guys who have come to him and said, "Um, how do we pray? Because they see the power of the Spirit of God in this man, Jesus Christ's life, and they see his life of prayer, and they understand there's a connectedness. So they're saying, well, you know, how do we pray? After this manner, pray ye. What is he saying? He's not saying, look, every time you pray, you need to recite this prayer verbatim, and then you're done, He's saying, look, if you're looking for things to pray about, you're looking for subjects, you're looking for topics, you're looking for structure, you're looking for an outline, and if you're looking for, and this is really important, priorities in what's most important, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and if you're looking, by the way, for a vision of this God that you're praying to, and of this kingdom that He is building in this world, well, then pray like this. He says, after this manner, pray ye. And now if you would stand, I'd like to recite it together. Okay? Our Lord teaches us to pray as follows. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. I got to tell you, that's the most intimidating part of this whole sermon, okay? Because I did not want to blow that. Seriously, I remember going into the church that I grew up in when I was a kid. I showed up on a Saturday, and some, I, the doors were open, so I walked in up to this great big pulpit, you know, and the Lord's Prayer was taped on there. And I thought, the guy's a PhD. Does he not know this? So, but you don't want to mess it up. All right. Well, now that you're sitting down, I want to ask you something about your prayer life. You've just recited the Lord's Prayer. Where do you spend most of your time in your prayer life? I mean, just topically. Because I think if you're honest, or maybe if you're just anything like me, you've got to admit it's the second half of the prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And be honest with you, God, I'm looking more for like a month worth of bread today. I'd be a little more comfortable with that. I mean, I'll take my daily bread. I need that, bottom line. But I'd like a month. I'd like a year's worth. That would be wonderful. But bottom line, what am I praying for? God, provide for me. A lot of people pray in that prayer. God, forgive me. You know, forgive us our debts that we leave off the rest of that as we forgive our debtors. Let's not bring that up. If we can get a pencil out, we could erase a little part of this prayer. that, That might be the one. But that is what it says. So it's God provide for me. It's God forgive me because we know we need to be forgiven. And what else is it? It's God protect me. Lead us not into temptation. I've been in temptation. That's not a good place for me to be. Our lives prove every day temptation is not a safe area. That's not a zone we want to enter into. Trouble happens there. Protect me from that, okay? And deliver deliver us from the evil one is really the way it ought to be translated. So it's God, provide for me, and God, forgive me, and it's God, protect me. The idea being that we've spent about 90% of our prayer life right there, and that's okay. It's good to pray those things. Jesus tells us to pray those things. He just tells us to pray them last. What is the focus? Because this prayer lays it out pretty clearly. It's the king, it's the kingdom. So, Jesus comes to those of us with the spiritual sensibilities to see and to hear and to smell and to taste and and to touch and to appreciate and to submit to this king and kingdom. And and He says, in a sense, look, if you guys want to know how to pray, then, then pray like this. And He starts out with these words. He says, our Father. Now, what is He doing with this? He's telling you something about God, isn't He? I mean, He's holding a picture, really, up before you of your God. He's saying, look, if you want to know something about this God that you're praying to, Start with this, our Father. God is not some cold, distant, up in the sky, pie in the sky, by and by, you know, unattached, unconcerned, uncaring being. He's coming to us and He's saying, He's your Father. And He's a perfect Father. And you're His little boy. You're His little girl. And those of us with children, we can feel that. We understand the value of that. He's saying, look, that's your identity. You're not defined by your past. You're not defined by some label somebody put on you. You're not an outcast. You're not a reject. In fact, you matter to the person who matters most. So he's coming to us and he's saying, look, here's who God is. He is your father. But that's not the only picture he's giving us of God. See, the Lord is not just our heavenly daddy. And if that's all that we picture him as... Well, then chances are we're going to spend all our time in the second half of that prayer. It's going to be, you know, God provide for me, God forgive me, and God protect me, amen. Jesus is saying more than that. And we know that because He says, our Father, and then He adds, who aren't in heaven. And every time God is pictured in heaven, He's seated on His throne. Our God is a King In fact, he is the king. He is the supreme emperor, and it may help you to understand that back in the days of Jesus, and even to some degree, even today, with monarchs, they were often referred to by their people as father. We see that with the Queen of England; she's the Queen Mum. You know, she's the mother of her country in some sense. Jesus is coming before us, and he's teaching us to pray, "Our Father," but our Father who art in heaven. He's not just our daddy. He's our emperor and king. And the problem that we have as Americans, having been raised in a democracy, is we don't have any categories by which to really understand that. You know, all of our rulers today are rulers to whom we have delegated authority over our lives by electing them to office. They're not monarchs, they're politicians. And there's a humongous difference, it's huge. And here's the deal. I mean, we voted them into office, and so we therefore expect their service, and we expect their allegiance, and we expect their loyalty, and we expect their helpfulness, and if or when they're not one of those things, or they otherwise disappoint us in some way, shape, or form, we openly criticize and malign them, we withhold our resources from them, we do not contribute to their campaigns, and here's the thing. The next election that rolls around, we do everything that we can to vote them out of office. It's a very different paradigm. You and I did not vote in favor of God when we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And then we delegated authority over our lives to Him so long as He serves us and, and, you know, is loyal to us and has found help. It doesn't work that way. The Lord our God who is pictured in this prayer is our heavenly daddy, yes, but He is the supreme ruler of all of the universe. He sits upon a throne that is unequaled. And He demands, rightly, every inch and moment of our lives. And not just of our lives, but every inch and moment of this planet as well. And that's really the next thing that Jesus turns to. See, subject number two is the kingdom. He says, after this manner, therefore pray ye, saying, pray like this, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then what does He say? Give us this day our daily bread. Not yet. Not yet we're going there. He says, thy kingdom come. And you're like, well, what does that mean? I mean, what does that look like? Well, it looks like thy will be done. But where in earth as it is in heaven, meaning perfectly? It's amazing. It's like Jesus is saying, guys, we're going to get to the second half of the prayer in a second. We're going there. I promise. We're going to get there. It's coming.'" But first we're going to deal with the king, and first we're going to deal with his kingdom, which, interestingly enough, is a kingdom that involves this earth. And I say interestingly enough because I'm not sure that we think about it like that. I mean, we've talked about it now for a lot of weeks, but mostly I think we view our faith as something that, you know, really is going to kick in when we leave this earth. It's our ticket off this earth. It's our means of getting to heaven, which, in fact, is the goal of our faith. No, it's not. It really isn't. I think oftentimes we're tempted to view this earth as though it's some God-forsaken place. And Jesus is saying it's not a God-forsaken place. It is the theater of God's operation. It is the place of His great victory and conquest. It It is the stage upon which will play out the redemption of man and upon which God will prove Himself and reveal Himself to be that great and glorious King. And oh, by the way, Daddy, to His people, The vision of Jesus, as I've said repeatedly in this series, is the vision of the total transformation of the earth into a place where God's will is done here, even as it's done in heaven. And that should inform our prayers as a matter of first priority, Jesus is telling us, but it should also inform our lives as a matter of first priority. It's not just something that we are to pray about, but it's something that, inspired by His Spirit, we're to help bring about. I think it's no mistake that in verse 33 of the same chapter, Jesus says this. He says, but seek, and then He says a word that speaks of priorities. He says, but seek first, as the first most thing is the idea, the what? The kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all of these things, and you're like, well, what does that mean? All of these things will be added to you. What is He talking about in that passage leading up? Do you know? Because it's not all the things that we pursue with our lives. He's not talking about wealth and he's not talking about fame and he's not talking about reputation and he's not talking about prestige, he's not talking about personal honor and. All. it's not what he's talking about at all. If you know the passage, he's talking about the single most important things in life. Like if you had to shed your whole life of everything that you have, these would be like the last three things you'd rid yourself of. What will you eat? What will you drink? What will you wear? It's like he calls out of our lives the most important things and he holds them before us and then he gets to this verse and he says, look, here's the thing. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I'll take care of that stuff. It is the preeminent thing. That's the vision. Jesus says, after this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth, as it is in heaven. And then it says, give me this day. No, it says, give us. And that informs our prayers too, doesn't it? You know, it's like you get to the second part of the prayer. It's where you wanted to go. It's where we spend most of our time. And even that is somewhat selfless. It's communitarian. It's it's like we're praying for each other as well as for ourselves. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, you see. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And then at least in the book of Luke, you get a little story that kind of stands up in the middle of the chapter and points at that prayer and says, did you see that? Did you hear that? Did you smell that? Did you taste that? Did you touch that? Has the Spirit of God given you the spiritual sensibilities necessary to be captured by the vision of that? Then pray that. Pray like that. It says in Luke 11 verse 5, And Jesus said to them, to this crowd to whom He's just laid out the Lord's Prayer, he says, which of you has a, who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has just arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. I and mean, a lot of people disagree as to what exactly kind of is going on here. I think the best understanding of it is this guy is asleep in bed, it's midnight, so the picture is middle of the night, okay? Dead asleep, asleep for a while, with his kids, with his wife, and all of a sudden here comes his friend, quote unquote, who shows up and frankly should have known better, And wakes him up in the middle of the night, which is not a happy occasion, is it? And rudely, is the idea, requests something that either he should have already had stored up in his own house or could have waited until morning. Jesus says, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend... Lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. and It's kind of like to invoke the outrage of the crowd. It's like, uh, uh, nobody would do that. It's ridiculous. And yet he continues and he says, but he, this guy who's just been rudely awakened, will answer from within. Do not bother me. Well, there's a shocker. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed and I cannot get up and give you anything. I read that this week and I thought of the time when I was living in the fraternity house and I had a buddy of mine who actually wasn't that much of a friend of mine. <laughs> and he woke the whole house up in the middle of the night and I had an 8 o'clock class and I said something a little more direct to him than that, I think. said, do not bother me, the door is now shut. I actually opened the door and chased him down the hallway. So, But you get the idea, it's like, it's outrageous. do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed with me and I cannot get up and give you anything. And then he says, I tell you, says Jesus, that we will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend. And then he says, yet because of this rude friend's impudence or shamelessness or persistence, he, this rudely awakened man, will rise and give him whatever he needs. The point of the parable being what? Being that if this guy who's been rudely awakened in the middle of the night by his friend who should have known better and could have waited until morning at the very least will get up at least at some point and give the guy what he needs, how much more will your heavenly daddy who is also your emperor and king, who is of unlimited resources, who has just held before you the very prayer structure at the least that he calls for you to pray and who never sleeps, grant your request. It's like you get to the end of the Lord's Prayer and Jesus is saying, did you you see that? Did you hear it? Did you smell it? Did you pray it? That's what we should pray about. And those are the priorities. And then, as if he needed to say anything more, he goes on. He says, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Not maybe, not you know, possibly. There's no language of contingency. It's, it's really remarkable. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. What human father is the idea? Among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent or... If he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give, what kind of gifts? Good gifts to your children. How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You're like, why does he volunteer the Holy Spirit there? I mean, why does he single that out? Why doesn't he just say, and give good gifts to those who ask him? Because the Holy Spirit is the best gift. That's why. It's by the Holy Spirit that you and I gain eyes that see and ears that hear and hands that really feel and noses that really sense of smell of the kingdom of the Lord that we can taste and know that the Lord is good. We gain the spiritual sensibilities by which we see the vision of our great heavenly daddy emperor and king and of his kingdom and learn to pray to that king and for his kingdom as a matter of first priority, and to live for that king and that kingdom as a matter of first priority. The Christian life is a life that is lived by the power of the Spirit. How much more, he says, will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? After this manner, says Jesus, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. About 99%, maybe more, walked away going, man, that was amazing, you know, incredible. And that illustration was really something. And the thing about the fish and the scorpion, that got to me. And then they just went back to their lives as though they had heard nothing. But then there were the precious few, you see, and they're precious and few who never prayed or lived quite the same again. We need to pray that the Spirit would make us alive, would give us ears and eyes, hands and feet, mouths, noses, the whole shoot and match, that we might sense that we live for and in the presence of the great emperor and king and that we might know that it is His kingdom that is the matter of first priority for us. I pray that for all of us and I ask God to send His Spirit here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. And we pray that you, Holy Spirit, would inhabit this place. I pray, God, that you would give us the spiritual sensibilities to pray and to live differently. Not to take in, not to find intellectually stimulating, and then to be unchanged, but to change. Lord, don't let go of us, but work in our hearts and lives that we might live, and that we might love our King, who is also our Heavenly Daddy. And so we praise You for those things and the great gift of Your Spirit that is ours. Through faith in Your Son, we praise You in Jesus' name. Amen.